Welcome to the very first episode of Late to the Party. I am your host, Sebastian Heilman. On this first episode, we will be talking about a few things, starting with the crossover event held by CW in those three episodes. We will be talking about Spider-Man PS4. And as a retro review, kind of retro movie, with Avengers Endgame coming out, I decided to start watching all the Marvel movies dating back to Iron Man 1, and I watched Iron Man 1 yesterday to kind of start this journey, and I'll give you my thoughts on what I think about it 10 years later. All right, on to the show. Welcome to the very first episode of Late to the Party. I'm your host, Sebastian Heilman, and let's just jump right into the first topic of today. Over the last three days, CW has aired their annual crossover event. In years past, I think 2016 was the first one that held more than just the Flash and Green Arrow. That was Invasion. And then 2017, last year, was Crisis on Earth X. And this year... This one was called Elseworlds. I almost forgot the title of the name. Starting off with the first episode, I did not like the first episode. Now, I got the feeling right away that they were setting up for something bigger. Uh, The Monitor always referenced, I think he was only in the first episode for a few scenes, if I remember correctly, he was just talking about something is coming. Something is coming, and you kind of got the feeling right away you were not going to see it in this episode. Or in this crossover event, rather. And you didn't. So the first episode, it's just about Barry, who is still in Barry Allen's body, waking up as Oliver Queen, and now is the Green Arrow, and Oliver Queen waking up as Barry Allen, the Flash. Or he's... Oliver Queen is waking up as the Flash and everyone thinks he's Barry. And Barry Allen wakes up thinking he's Barry Allen, but everyone else thinks he's Oliver Queen. I thought the idea was fine. I didn't have any problem with this idea for a crossover event. For those who don't know, I'm not 100% sure on this. Don't take my word for it. Elseworld comics are just retellings of stories in different worlds. It's not really like a body swap kind of thing. I think they're just taking a liberal use of the Elseworlds term and creating a new story, which is completely fine. So the episode opens, and Oliver Queen who is now the Flash, wakes up and finds out he's the Flash. He goes to find Barry Allen. And throughout the whole series, there's this bickering. This is the one of the things that I did not like about the three episodes, is that there was so much bickering for superheroes who have been superheroes for five, six years now, or at least in their world, five, six years, maybe even longer. You would think... They would have more patience and 
knowing how to deal with something like this now. And it was almost like they're relearning how to be a superhero, which I thought was strange. Like there was, I think they were trying to character build Oliver Queen a little bit. I'll be frank, I am not watching Arrow and Supergirl anymore. I stopped watching Arrow after season three, I think it was. And I stopped watching uh, Supergirl after season two, midway through season two. I'm still watching The Flash, but I think I'm almost done with The Flash too. Depends on how the season ends. Nonetheless, back to Elseworlds. I didn't like the bickering between Barry and Oliver. I didn't like the editing and the pacing of the first episode. I felt, so when Oliver Queen, who's now the Flash, goes to see... Barry, who is now the Green Arrow, John Deegan, who is the sub-villain of this uh, crossover event, he's really the pawn that the Monitor is using to test Earth-1. He... Oh, where was I going with this? I just lost my train of thought. So while... Oliver's seeing Barry, I think John Deegan sends Amazo to fight in Star City, and the only people that are left there are Caitlin, Killer Frost, and Cisco Vibe. So they fight Amazo. I can't exactly remember how that goes. All I remember is Cisco vibing them to them, them being Barry and Oliver, and then I think they go to Earth, Supergirl, I can't, it's like 30-something, they go to Smallville, get Supergirl and Superman, and the small introduction of Lois Lane, they fight Amazo, they beat Amazo. I think the pacing of that was a little bit different, or a little bit off, rather. I think they should have had Amazo beat Oliver Queen as the Flash and Barry Allen as Green Arrow and then go get Supergirl and Superman. I feel like Amazo beating up on your sub-superheroes, anti-villains, and Killer Frost, however you want to look at her in this series, was just kind of off. If for those who don't know, Amazo is this... I'm not sure if he's classified as like a cyborg... But pretty much he adapts the superpowers of his enemies and no, gathers all their strengths and weaknesses. So that's pretty much the first episode. They end up beating Amazo. The second episode, they try to figure out where this John Deegan is. This leads to the Gotham entrance of the into the CW-verse, whatever you want to call this. And they kind of play up that Batman... Well, Barry Allen thinks Batman is real. Oliver Queen thinks that Batman is a myth. They find the bat symbol. Bruce Wayne has been out of the picture. I can't remember if they said five months or five years. I would say five years because Gotham has gone to shit. And they meet... I think her name is Kate Kane. I can't honestly remember. She's Batwoman. Uh, 
Kate Kane as herself. I think she's played by an actress named Ruby Rose, if I'm mistaken. Let me look this up really quick. I think she did a fine job. I don't really have anything positive or negative to say. Yes, Ruby Rose, she's an Australian model. I think she could be cool. I think <clears throat> we'll get into this a little bit later with what they're doing. They're setting up something bigger. But I think the way CW does their shows, it's like a soap opera for boys for Flash and Arrow and girls for Supergirl. It's a soap opera dressed up in a superhero show. I think the model is played out. I think you ha have what is supposed to be like this dark and gritty soap opera with Arrow, this light, humorous, but sentimental soap opera with The Flash and this just overly, overlish, overly girlish one with Supergirl, who all those characters in Supergirl are boring after, uh, I can't remember her name, Clista Flockhart's character left, Cat, I think her name is, uh, she left the first season. She was the best character of that show. But anyways, they, the three travel to Gotham City to look for the man that has the book. All they have is a picture of that Oliver Queen drew. So they go to Gotham. They meet Kate Kane and Wayne Manor. Wayne Manor's torn down. They introduce Kate Kane as Bruce Wayne's cousin. And... They try to find this character that is John Deegan. Turns out Kate Kane knows who he is. He works at Arkham Asylum. This is by far my favorite episode, by the way, of the three. So they get to Arkham Asylum. And all hell breaks loose, as it does. So you have all the inmates break out. And John, I believe it was... Oliver Queen has the flash that catches John Deegan. He lets all the prisoners loose. He gets on his way. This leads to the coolest scene in the three episodes, I think. So you have Killer Frost confronting... I'm not positive who this character is supposed to be, but they zoom in on Victor Freeze's gun... If you don't know who Victor Freeze is, it's Mr. Freeze. So they have his freeze gun. I'm not sure if this is supposed to be Nora Freeze, his wife. Is she somehow cured? She wants, I think it is supposed to be her because she is saying that she needs to be cold. She's too warm. So I would assume that this is Nora Freeze. I would just assume. I'm not sure. I don't know if they ever say but anyways, Caitlin calls for help. Nora, who I believe to know, believe Nora Freeze, I think that's his wife's name. I'm not 100% sure. She hits her Caitlin with the gun. And then Flash and Arrow come in and they're I can't remember what happens, but something gets knocked over and it releases Scarecrow toxin. This is the coolest scene out of the three episodes, by far. You have 
Oliver Queen as the Flash, seeing Eobar Thawne as the Reverse Flash, and you have Barry Allen as the Green Arrow, seeing Tommy Merlin as... I can't remember what his character's name is. Is the... In the Arrowverse, sorry. Uh, The Black Hooded Archer. I can't remember his name. I thought that was very cool because they're fighting each other. There's character development to see what both uh, characters have been through. Because Eobar Thawne is telling Oliver Queen about killing his mother. Killing Barry Allen's mother. And you see Tommy Merlin telling Barry Allen what he did to Oliver Queen. It, it's a phenomenal scene, and they're fighting. Barry and Oliver are fighting. It is very cool. Then Batgirl comes in, does what... Not Batgirl, Batwoman, sorry. Batwoman comes in, does what Batwoman does. She has this grand entrance with, like, the hook shot, grappling hook. She does pretty much what Batman does. She doesn't have any superpowers, she just kicks ass. I think the look, she has the best costume. Out of the four heroes in the show, she has by far the best costume. I think it's well done. It's not that hard to do a dark black suit with a red logo and red hair in a very dark world. Like, lighting-wise, it's always night in Gotham in this uh, series. But that's pretty much the end of the episode. They kind of find out where things are going, and uh, they find John Deegan that he cr- did all this, and they're gonna. Tr- the third episode is pretty much like them trying to find Deegan to re- uh, recreate this. I think in the second episode, uh, they like reverse it for a second, and then the monitor gives the book back to Deegan to recreate the world. He sees fit to do a better job, and then that leads into episode three. Enter episode three. It starts out with Barry and Barry Allen's body and Oliver and Oliver's body. Everything's back to normal with the exception that they don't have their superpowers. And then Superman, a Superman, shows up in a black suit. Looks very cool, but it turns out to be John Deegan. John Deegan recreated himself in Superman's body. Or made himself Superman. And then they put Kara Danvers, Supergirl, into uh, the prison at Star Labs. So, I'll be honest, I kind of tuned out for this episode. I just was kind of disappointed with this to begin with because there's a few instances where Oliver talks to the monitor. And it's just pretty much setting up for next year's crossover event, which at the end of this episode, they tease Crisis on Infinite Earths. So that just tells you one of these characters is going to die and probably get replaced with Batgirl. We'll get into that in a little bit. So the episode starts out, and it's pretty much just a powerless Flash, powerless Green Arrow, which doesn't make sense because Green Arrow doesn't have any powers, but Oliver Queen is still kind of inept to shooting arrows or fighting in general. Like, there's a few scenes where he kind of saves the that Barry in himself, but I found that kind of be weird. You take away superpowers, but how do you take away 
his skills that he learned. I don't know. Anyway, besides the point. Um, so John Deegan is pretty much a tyrant. And Oliver and Barry find out ways to manipulate this. They try to find this world Cisco, who is like this weird crime lord. I don't know. It's very corny. He talks in this weird way. Uh, like a 1930s mob boss. It was very corny. He vibes them to Earth-1, where they find Superman and Lois Lane at the Fortress of Solitude. He brings Earth-1 Superman to fight John Deegan Superman. And... I don't know. Like I said, I tuned out. This was my least favorite episode by far. Anyways, Oliver Queen pretty much goes to the monitor and says, you found what you are looking for. If you kill off Barry Allen and Supergirl, because they're doing the plot of Superman Returns, slowing down the Earth pretty much. One runs one way, the other runs the other way at Mach 7 or whatever they said. And... Superman looked into the book and sees that those two die if they do this. Oliver goes to the monitor and say, if you want to stand, if you want us to fight this crisis that's coming, or whoever's coming, we, this world needs the Flash and Supergirl. So the monitor does what he does, which is the last time you see him. And then the... Earth slows down. Oliver Queen shoots John Deegan Superman with a kryptonite arrow. And I'm not sure if it's Brainiac that fights Amazo. Amazo's back. And this uh, Cisco from Earth 1 vibes Superman, Lois, or no, Lois Lane, Brainiac, and the Martian Manhunter to this earth to help fight I, what I presume to be Brainiac fights uh, Amazo, destroys Amazo, gets his motherboard Martian Manhunter just saves people Superman fights Deegan and that's the end of the episode, all is well all is well in the world the shit crossover event anyways, they tease Crisis on Infinite Earth I knew this was coming I just knew this was coming. This is why I wanted to talk about this. This shitty crossover event. I have such disdain disdain for this event now that I'm talking about it out loud to myself in my girlfriend's kitchen. Crisis on Infinite Earth is one of the best stories in the DC Universe. You have all the big players to tell this story. You have a Superman, you have a Supergirl, you have a Batman-esque character in Batwoman who will probably have her own show next year. You have Green Arrow and you have The Flash. You have enough to do the story well. Now, Crisis on Infinite Earth has the death of Supergirl. Which leads me to presume that one of the characters is going to die. I think 
next year will be the last season of Arrow. Because in episode three, when Oliver Queen goes to the monitor, right as the Flash and Supergirl are doing, they're around the Earth race to slow down the Earth. Oliver goes to the monitor and says, you know, we need Barry Allen and Supergirl to be, save the day. And the monitor is like, to rewrite destiny, you have to pay, pretty much pay the toll that is being taken away. So he's the monitor is pretty much going to save Supergirl and Barry Allen, but he needs a price to pay. Take a life, give a life kind of thing. You know, we're saving a life, but we're also going to take life. And it's the over three episodes, Oliver's like, I'm not as a good person as you think I am. I've killed all these people, blah, 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 blah. So proper shit. So you have Oliver presumably saying he'll sacrifice himself. I think next year, Oliver Queen will die. And it will be the last season of Arrow. Either that, or they just do something... Out of the, I have two theories of this. I, I think the Arrow one is going to happen. But I think they kind of just need to end the series together. Because I think Supergirl is falling flat. I don't hear anything really great about it. Except for all the diehard DC nerds who think everything that they do is great. I think Arrow is definitely falling flat. I know it's lost a lot of people watching, and I think Flash is just getting to that point, but it's not there yet. If they want to do a Batgirl or a Batwoman series, I think they could, but I would recommend against it. I think this should be the wrap-up. I think what they should do is Crisis on Infinite Earth, the series, and wrap it all up. That's what I would like to see. But who knows? So let's talk about Crisis on Infinite Earth, the TV series, theories, possibilities, what I would like to see, what I don't want to see. I don't want to see this in a three-episode event. That's what I don't want. I want this to be... ten. If this could replace two of the shows for... Like, as a wrap-up, have two shows per week, and it's 20 episodes long. You get two episodes. I mean, that wouldn't make much sense. That would only be 10 weeks. I Well, I guess that could make sense. I don't know. I would like to see this as kind of like the culmination, like the Defenders was on Netflix. You have this group team up for 10, 11 episodes. You could do that. You just do 10, 12, 14 episodes, whatever you want to tell this story to make it seem grand, to make it as big as you possibly could make it. But I don't think that's going to happen. They're just going to do a three or four event series. It, they didn't include the Legends of Tomorrow. Maybe that would give you a, a fourth episode to do this crossover event if they do it that way. I just hope it's more than four episodes. 
what I would like to see. I They need to wrap up, in my opinion, they need to wrap up one or two of these shows. I think Arrow's run its course. I think... I honestly think all three shows have ran its course. I w- this is the reason why I would like to see it as one big thing to end it. Maybe start something new and fresh in a few years. Give it a break. You have, They have like five superhero shows now in the CW. I think it I think it's kind of worn it's I think it's worn out its welcome. So if you do this big wrap up and you you don't necessarily have to kill all the characters. I think a death is important in Crisis on Infinite Earth. I think it would be important if it's one of the major characters. I don't want them to kill off Superman who is a side character in Supergirl who is literally going away cuz he Got Lois Lane pregnant, which was like in the last minute of the episode. I think they should find a way to wrap it up, wrap the stories up that are in each. There's a way to wrap, there's got to be a way, someone a lot smarter than I am, to wrap up the individual storylines in each show in a collective show wrap up the loose ends make it happy endings for everyone make it like a sorrow ending like a or a bittersweet ending you know with the death of a character wrapping up everything together hopefully that is what happens i'm kind of rambling here but it's more out of just hope (laughs) I hope this is better than this year. Wrap it up. Go out on top. Let Kevin Smith direct all the episodes. That'll never happen. But anyways, let's just kind of wrap up this topic. I didn't like this year's crossover event. There were some moments that were good. Other moments not so good. They teased Crisis on Infinite Earth. Let's just transition into my second topic, which I'm so excited to talk about. Spider-Man PS4. As the name of this podcast implies, late to the party, I am playing Spider-Man PS4 for the first time in December. I got it the 8th of December. It came out in October, I believe. I'm only a little bit into the game. I just discovered fast travel, but I've been playing a lot. I've been doing a lot of the side missions, collecting a lot of the back, like all the little tokens and stuff, backpacks, the Oscorp things, uh, the research stations or whatever they call them, doing crime, the crime missions. Let me tell you something. This game is brilliant. It is a love letter to Spider-Man fans of every medium that Spider-Man has graced, whether it's movies, cartoons, comics, what have you, previous video games. I feel like there is a reference or an Easter egg or an homage to every Spider-Man medium. Like, 
when your controller disconnects, there's this little Spider-Man figure that reminds me of the, I'm not sure what Spider-Man cartoon it was. I think it was just on Disney XD or whatever that channel was with the kid from Drake and Josh voicing Spider-Man when the little character broke the fourth wall, that little character is like the character of the controller disconnect and reconnect sign. I think that's cute. I think they created an atmosphere. They created a living, breathing New York that is populated, that is just fun to be in. Like I could just turn on that game and swing around New York and be a part of that environment, that atmosphere four hours without playing the story it's so immersive it's brilliant it is not a perfect game i think there are some things that are flawed but we'll talk about them a little bit the things that make this game so great is that it did its homework insomniac did their homework on this game they made what seems to be their own story like I, I just got to the fast travel so spoiler alert if you haven't played this game like i haven't all you know is the game opens with you going to the fisk tower or whatever stopping fisk you put him behind bars you fight the shocker the shocker breaks out of prison and is scared of the demons i'm not really sure who's in control of the demons i've never really heard of them before but he is afraid of their big man big boss man and now we're just at the point of you stumbling on the demons breaking and stealing some of fisk's stuff and that's where I'm at. This I'm not too far in the story. Like I said, I've just been swinging around and clacking. I think the story is great. I think the characters are great. I think the voice acting is great. I think the motion capture is phenomenal. I believe every character, when they move, when they talk, I think the dynamic between Peter Parker and Mary Jane is fun. I think it's fresh. I, they're not together in this game, at least not yet, but you can tell they still love each other. I think the dynamic between Otto Octavius, who is not Doc Ock yet, and Peter Parker is brilliant. Otto Octavius just found out that Peter Parker is making suits and tech for Spider-Man, but doesn't know Peter Parker is in fact Spider-Man. I think that is going to be a fun development of this game. Now on to what I think are some, I can't say they're flaws. This is me nitpicking, very nitpicking. This doesn't make or break the game. So one thing that I have found in this game is one of the, there's not a smooth animation from crawling to the ground. And I'll try to explain what I mean by that. Let's say you're on top of a building and you start to crawl down like you're heading towards the street. There was a Spider-Man game, I believe it was Web of Shadows, that I first saw this animation. If you crawl down to the street, there's an animation where Spider-Man's legs go like he's doing a backflip. 
to the street and he walks up. There's no such animation like this in Spider-Man PS4, which is kind of unnatural. He's just kind of on the ground now with his feet on the ground. There's no real smooth transition or smooth animation. Again, nitpicking. I'll give you a positive animation, something I think is amazing. If you are next to a building that has a fire escape, I suggest you run up the part of the building that doesn't have a fire escape, jump back down, and run up the fire escape. It is a brilliant, brilliant animation. I think there are just so many animations for little things that they thought of. They must, they probably just didn't think or have time to put this little animation in. It's just me nitpicking. Some things that I think do hurt the game are the puzzles that you can do in Octavius's lab. They are just simple puzzles for experience. They don't add to the game. There's not a real necessity to do them unless you want to get trophies, which I'm presuming that there are trophies for completing both t these 20 puzzles. You have one puzzle where you literally have to match these three lines that they have. Like a box could have like three lines, the next box could have two thick lines, and then the third box could have another three lines in a different variety. All you do is just pick the pieces to match. The second puzzle is this uh, electricity current puzzle where you have a few pieces and you just kind of got to rotate it to get the current from this positive to the negative or whatever. And they're not hard. They're just, they're just there to be there for experience and trophies. The stealth missions, I've only played one of them as Mary Jane. I don't know if there's more, but it, you had to sneak around this art gallery of Fis, Fisk's um, prize or collection that's going to be up for auction. It was not stealthy. You could literally walk in front of the person, walk behind the uh object that you're hiding behind to get around her and then you're fine it's the ai is dumb i hope they fix that but other than that i'm holding out uh my review for another episode when i finish the game or i'll just update you periodically if i continue to do these podcasts overall i think the game is amazing i i can't i could talk hours about this game but that's not what I'm here for. <laughs> I wish I could. Lastly, the last thing we're going to talk about is a retro part of this podcast. This week it is uh, a review of Iron Man 1 as if the way I watched it 10 years after it first came out, I believe just kind of my thoughts of this movie 10 years later leading up to Avengers. When I first saw this movie, I was absolutely in love with it. I loved everything about it. I thought it was amazing. I was 16 years old. I saw it in theaters with some friends. My mind was blown. I couldn't believe 
what I was seeing. I was seeing an awesome superhero movie on the big screen. To give you an idea of what that was like as a 16-year-old boy, we had two horrific Fantastic Four movies. Even as a young boy, I thought those were so stupid. The only reason why people saw them is because Jessica Alba was gorgeous and she was like the hot thing at the time, the hot actress that every, that was all over the place. You always saw Jessica Alba on late night television, on daytime television, on these talk shows. She was everywhere. That's all I remember of like the mid 2000s with Jessica Alba. Then you had, I want to say, I'm not 100% sure if X-Men 3 The Last Stand was out before Iron Man, but for sure X-Men 1 and X-2 were out. And then you had the three Spider-Man movies that I think came out. I think Spider-Man 3 came out in 2006 or 2007. So for sure you had two Spider-Man, two X-Men, and possibly the third for each of those movies. And everyone revered and loved... As a comic book fan, they loved Spider-Man 1, Spider-Man 2. I'm not really sure what the general consensus of the X-Men series was. I never liked them because I thought they were terrible. Just all the costumes looking the same. You had Wolverine, who is Hugh Jackman, who is just like tall and jacked. Or not really jacked. He's like just like he has some muscular features, but he's not like... He has kind of a gut, too. He gets more shredded with each movie that comes out. Anyways, no real movies that made me go, wow, this is amazing. Iron Man was that as a 16-year-old boy in 2008. This movie was everything I hoped and dreamed it was. Fast forward 10 years later, watching it again. With the context of all that, and I'm going into it, watching it with more of an appreciation of how films and television are made, pacing and plot development and character development. I think Iron Man 1 is good until they introduce the villain. Iron Man 1, after watching it, I will always argue that this movie should not have had a villain. I think it is pointless. I think it does not add to the movie whatsoever. His they never explain his reasonings for doing what he's doing. And it just it just kind of tanks the movie. So the mo- let's talk movie open. Movie opens with Tony Stark riding in Humvees just after his demonstration of the Jericho missile. He gets attacked. He sees this missile fly into the ground, has his name on it, and blows up. And then it does like the 24 hours earlier thing where he's like accepting awards, living the Tony Stark lifestyle, sleeping with women. And then it fast forwards to present day where he's in this cave and he meets this character, Yusuf. Yusuf builds this thing that is connected to a car battery that helps the shrapnel uh, slow down from getting to his heart and killing him. This is supposed to be character development or the beginnings of character development. They start talking about each other. Yusuf mentions he has a family. He, after they break out or 
he wants to see his family after this. The captors ask Tony Stark to build the Jericho missile. He refuses. One of the cool thing, when he refuses, I never heard this until I listened to this yesterday. When they are not sure what it's not waterboarding, but they're dumping his head into water. They you just hear Pepper Potts voice, Gwyneth Paltrow's voice say Tony, and that's pretty cool. I thought that was a neat little sprinkle in there. I never heard before. He says, yes, I'll make the Jericho missile, but in fact he makes an arc, his first arc reactor. And his intentions is to build a suit to break them out of there and that this arc reactor will power this thing. So you have the coolest part of this movie is Tony working on stuff. This is a cool sci-fi movie with Tony just building the suit. I could watch him building suits all day. Make Iron Man 4, just make it Tony Stark building the newest suit. I think that is so cool. He builds a suit, they escape, he flies back home. He says in his first press conference, he's not building weapons anymore. Flashback to the reporter that, that asks him in the 24 hours earlier segment, how do you feel that your weapons are being used by terrorists? And he gives the spiel. So I found it very strange that all these reporters that probably knew about this, you know, as one reporter sees other reporters work, they probably know that uh, his weapons are being used by terrorists. So when he comes back and says, we're shutting down weapons manufacturing, everyone's in an uproar. I would expect the future villain and the people close to Tony to be shocked by this, but reporters like flying like, oh my God, this is crazy. He's, this is him changing. This is the beginning of this character change. They start to introduce Pepper Potts as a love interest for Tony because he has no family. His family is Pepper Potts. She's the closest person to him. I think it is good and bad. Some of the good of it is there's obviously some connection between Robert Downey Jr. and Gwyneth Paltrow. There is some spark there. But as far as it translates to the screen, I think some of the dialogue is very stupid. This line stands out to me. When they're at the... I'm not sure what it was called. It was something with Tony Stark's name on it. He just shows up. He starts dancing with Gwyneth Paltrow. They have this cute little back and forth where he's like, I could go a week without you. Her response is, what's your social security number? I thought that line was so stupid. I go years without knowing what my social security number is. I know what it is memorized, and they're trying to get that he doesn't, they're trying to show that he doesn't even know what his social security number is. But I thought it was just, it's the scene right before where they almost kiss. I was expecting a bigger climax instead of this corny line. Anyways, they, there's more scenes of Tony building the new suit. He then finds out that he is being pushed out by the board, and you're not, you get the idea of who it is, but Tony doesn't know who it is yet. 
you kind of get the idea that it's Jeff Bridges' character. This is where the movie starts to get bad. This is where they start to introduce Obadiah as the villain of the movie. From here, I kind of zoned out. I thought the first two acts of this movie were brilliant. It was just Tony becoming the Iron Man. I thought those first two acts were just so amazing. Watching this again, I was so invested watching Tony develop as a character and Tony developing Iron Man as the second act of Tony's life to repay the debts of the lives that were taken because of terrorists. I thought it was just such a cool coming to be, coming to action type of story. And then right before you find out Obadiah is the villain, Iron Man goes to the terrorists that held him and like just straight up kills everybody, all the terrorists. I thought that was sick. Just kind of like vengeance, revenge. I thought that was a kind of cool scene. Then the movie takes a like downward dive. And I hope going back and watching these movies, this does not become a trend of bad villains. Because to be honest, I don't remember most of the villains other than like Loki. And that's really it. I don't. I don't have high hopes for the villains in these other movies. But anyways, back to Iron Man 1. Third act, Obadiah's the villain. You have Agent Coulson and Pepper Potts going to Obadiah's factory where he's trying to create the arc reactor for his suit. And you have this giant Iron Man suit fight. And it's just so corny. It's not good. Ugh, it's not good. Anyways, that's roughly the end of the movie. My thoughts on it, ten years later, it's not as good as the first time I saw it and the scope that I saw it and the mind that I saw it. I still enjoyed it. I'd say it's like a 7 out of 10 or a 6.5 out of 10. That third act really hurts it. The next movie on the list, I believe, is the Edward Norton Incredible Hulk. Let me check that really quick. That will be the next movie I'm watching. I am not excited because I do remember this movie. Yeah, The Incredible Hulk. The Incredible Hulk. I think that is... Uh, the Edward Norton movie. That is not good. That is not a good movie. We'll have a review of that if I can muster through it. It might take me five days to watch. But anyways, I think I'm going to wrap up this first episode and kind of give you future plans if this episode gains any sort of traction. I kind of rambled. I hope to have more coherent thoughts on future topics, but I'm just going to kind of go where I go. Anyways, thank you for watching this first episode of Late to the Party. Again, I am your host, Sebastian. Till next time.